I very much appreciate your prayers for me. I feel like those people in Hebrews 11, out of weakness, were made strong. I woke up in much weakness this morning and just appreciate your prayers for me. That's just a great song to conclude the hymn time with, Jeremiah 24-7. And I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. And that is the message of today's passage. Is Israel going to know that I am the Lord? So we pick up here in chapter 6. And there's some debate on the chapter division at the end of 6. We're going to go through 7, 7. As a, take that as a continuous thought. And pick up in chapter 5 next week. But have you ever been asked to do something and your thought was, this is just going to be impossible? How did you respond? How do you respond to that which is impossible? Did you try to do it anyway? Did you put it off? Did you run away and hide? How do we respond to that which is impossible? God has asked Moses to do what is humanly impossible. And Moses thinks things are not going very well at all. And today is God's answer to Moses. So we pick up our story in Exodus after God gave Moses a warning that the upcoming events would not be easy. God had appeared to Moses and said to him, Bring the elders of Israel together and tell them that the God of Abraham has appeared to me and God has seen what has been done to you in Egypt and God promises to bring you out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. The time is here for your deliverance. But the Israelites find it hard to believe that the time has finally come and Pharaoh has gone so far as to murder their baby boys and done so much evil to the Israelites. But God says the time is finally here. And in Exodus 3.19, God tells Moses, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And then in Exodus 4.22, Moses says to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, go behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And in Exodus 4.31, And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. But that time of worship did not last very long at all. Because in chapter 5, Moses and Aaron go to see Pharaoh with much anticipation. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. And Pharaoh replies, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Their hopes and dreams are quickly crushed when Pharaoh brings additional suffering upon the Israelites. The leaders of Israel then tell Moses, You have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses and Aaron are now in a difficult spot as Pharaoh rejects the message from God that Moses delivered. And now the Israelites are furious at Moses because they have to build bricks and gather their own straw, as we will study next week. I think this is about as difficult position as anyone's ever been in before. Two million of his fellow Israelites are not pleased with him. Pharaoh, along with his entire army, are all upset at Moses and Aaron. And God did not do 
what Moses thought he would do. So Moses returns to the Lord. And if you look at the end of chapter 5, verse 22, Moses turns to the Lord and says, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses then shakes his fist at God. Why are you doing evil? I thought you were God, and I thought you were in control of this situation. It is one thing when God doesn't do what we want him to do, but it's an entirely different thing to meet with God and say, God, you have sinned. God, you are wrong. And you didn't do what you owe me. And God, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. But this is what God said would happen in chapters 3 and 4. And after we watch Moses' reaction of doubt to God at the end of chapter 5, we expect Moses to be in trouble. Moses is in trouble with God. But God's answer to Moses' doubt in chapter 6 is God's grace on full display. Chapter 6 is the introduction to the spectacular events that are coming in the next few chapters. Moses, you will witness the great acts that I will do to Pharaoh. You have been watching men play their games with each other, but you are about to witness the power of Jehovah, Yahweh, come down on Pharaoh because he has turned God's children that he loves into slaves. Yahweh made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and now you will watch as the Lord will keep his covenant promises. So we come to chapter 6, and I'm going to give this chapter the title, I Am the Lord. So let's pray here as we open this chapter. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promises you made, the grace that you displayed to Moses when he doubted, and how you brought the Israelites out of slavery, and you redeemed them. And thank you for your tremendous grace to these people and how you are working our lives. Grant us that we would understand your word today. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to look at the first eight verses. And I'm going to call these, God promises, I will. I'll call these verses, I will. Let's pick up here in chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. God spoke to Moses and said to them, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people." And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you 
out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will bring you into the land that I swear to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So chapter 5 ended with Moses accusing God of sin, and now chapter 6, God gives a very gracious, patient answer to Moses. If Pharaoh had let the Israelites go at Moses' first request, then Moses probably would have thought too much of himself. But now, Moses humbles himself. He must come before God and seek God in his time of trouble. We are at the point of the story where the Israelites, the Egyptians, and Moses are all upset. The situation looks bleak from our humanly perspective. But the Lord says, now you will watch and see that I am the Lord when I get done with Pharaoh. The most important thing that Moses, that God tells Moses is these four words. I am the Lord, which is repeated six times in this chapter, in this, today's passages, and 17 times in the book of Moses. By the time you leave your burdens as slaves in Egypt, look at verses 2 and 8. Moses, you will know that I am Yahweh, the Lord. The Israelites will know that I am the Lord. Verse, look at verses 6 and 7. Say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And thirdly, in verse, chapter 7, verse 5, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Look there at verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. As we see the events unfold in this book of Exodus, we are told the purpose is that we will know the Lord and the book of Exodus is God's act of self-identification. I am the Lord. And we begin, we began our study in Exodus with God's grace to the Israelites by calling out Moses. And chapter 40 of Exodus ends with the Israelites worshiping God in the new, newly built tabernacle. In the same way, as our salvation begins with God's grace and our salvation ends with giving glory to God. That is the summary of the book of Exodus. And Moses has faced a lot of difficulties, but he gives us the wonderful example of turning to the Lord in his time of doubting. So pick up in verse 3. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. That is El Shaddai, the Eternal One, the, most, the God Most High, the Almighty God. But by my name, Yahweh, the Lord, I did not make myself known. So what is he saying here? And this can be very confusing because God Almighty and Yahweh, both of these terms are used in Genesis with conversation to the patriarchs. The answer is twofold. First, God's personal name, God is title, Yahweh the Lord is personal name. And the power of Yahweh's name was not revealed, as will be here in Exodus when God um, redeems the Israelites. And secondly, Yahweh's majesty and glory were more fully revealed to Moses as God sat down and talked with Moses as a friend. And we will see that in Exodus, that God is even more revealed to Moses. The patriarchs knew the word Yahweh, but they did not understand the meaning and the power 
of God's holy name of Yahweh as much as will be revealed when the Israelites saw it in the plagues, the deliverance from slavery, the crossing of the Red Sea, the destruction of the Egyptian army, the holiness of God revealed in the Ten Commandments and the law, the worship of God in the tabernacle, and the many additional items that will be revealed about God in this book of Exodus. There's another thought to bring out about these verses here, these first eight verses. God explains to us the sort of source of doubt in our life. And as Moses is doubting God, just like we do at times, God gives us three sources of doubt. First, I am the Lord. God starts this dialogue in verse 2 and ends it in verse 8 with the statement, I am the Lord. The first source of doubt in our lives is forgetting God. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. The second source of doubt is when we forget what he has done for us. Look at verses 3 through 5. God says what he has done for Israel here. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. Verse 4, I established my covenant to give them the land, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Verse 5, I have heard the groaning of the people. I have remembered my covenant. Remembering what the Lord has done for us is, is the opposite of doubting. The third reason we doubt God is because we forget God's promises for the future. Moses obeyed God by speaking to Pharaoh and what happened? The promises, the problems got worse. Moses doubted and accused God of evil. How does God respond? By giving promises for the future to these people in verses 6 to 8. Look at the seven I wills here in verses 6 to 8. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swear to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Look at these. I will bring, I will deliver, I will redeem, I will take, I will be your God. I will bring you into and I will give. God promised to turn their time of need into a time of deliverance. God does not owe us anything. And yet he keeps his promises to us solely because of who he is. It is easier for us to forget the Lord than it is for God to forget his promises. God is intent on making sure that when this event is completed, there will be no doubt who is the Lord. So that our God will receive the praise that is due to him alone. And so impressive was this battle that is coming. That when it was completed, there was no doubt that it was not the Israelites or Moses or Aaron who won the battle. Look at Exodus 15 verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. 
This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. This is, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast in the sea. His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You sent out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. God promised, I will, in chapter 6. Then, when they leave Egypt, the people respond with, I will praise him. There's two other passages we can look at to remind us that God wants us to put our trust in him alone. As God told in Isaiah, Isaiah 43. But now says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sheba in exchange for you. Because you were precious in my eyes and honored and I loved you, I gave men in return for you. People and exchanges for your life. Fear not, I am with you. Why should we ever doubt when God has created us, he's formed us, he's redeemed us, he's called us by his name, we are his and we belong to him. Can God really make good on his promises? God made a covenant promise to Abraham. Can God really do that? Jeremiah asked the Lord the same question. In Jeremiah 32, verse 26, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for Yahweh? Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. What a contrast. In the time of Moses, God relieved released these Israelites from slavery and then many years later in the time of Jeremiah because of all the evil the children of Israel had done God sent them back into slavery and after 70 years of captivity just as God had promised with great disaster upon the Israelites God brought upon them all the good that he had promised what a tremendous God we have with his promises that he keeps now look at verse 6 Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. These promises given to Moses in verse 6 are the first 16 chapters of Exodus. Look at verse 7. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God who has brought you up out of the burdens of the Egyptians. These promises in verse 7 are those fulfilled in chapters 17 to 40 as God teaches them about worship. How does God deal with the doubt that Moses had about God and their situation? By reminding Moses who God is. Because if we know God, there can be no room for doubt. By reminding Moses what God has done, because when we remember how God has redeemed us from our sin, 
there can be no room for doubt. By remembering God's promises, he has said he went ahead to prepare a place for us. And he's coming again to make all things right. When we look at the promises God has given us and give them priority above our Lord, how can there be doubt? God says, I will not just bring you out of slavery. I will bring you into my promises. And my promises include your redemption. You will be my people. I will be your God. I am Yahweh. Sometimes I know what I expect in my life, but maybe that's the point. I expect God to do what I want, just like Moses. And this passage is about submitting to God, who is doing his will. So God responded to Israel's doubt and Moses' doubt by promising, I will. Israel responds to God's promises with, I won't. Look at verses 9 through 13. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let my people go out of the land. Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not obeyed me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh was imposing upon these Israelites very real problems. And the fear they had of these Egyptians was real, just like the problems I am facing at times seem more real to me than what God has promised. My pain, frustrations, heartaches, circumstances are more genuine to me than what Moses tells me about the Lord. And because of our sinful nature at times, we find the difficulties in this world to be more real to us than the promises of the Lord. And we need to be reminded of God's power, just like these Israelites, so that our hope is in the Lord. We are to remind each other of God's salvation so that we do not become broken in spirit. 1 Corinthians 15.1 Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you have been saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you've believed in vain. And Jude, verse 5, I want to remind you, Although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. What a thing to be reminded of. God redeemed these people from Egypt, and yet some of them still didn't believe. When we face an uncertain future and see the difficulties of this evil world around us, how do we respond? Just as these Israelites needed to be reminded of the Lord, so do, so do we. Remember who the Lord is. Remember what he has done for us. And remember what he promises for our future. Moses describes himself as having uncircumcised lips. And this is thought to refer to a speech impediment. But what is sure is that Moses thought of himself as unable to do what God had commanded. If we were in charge of this situation, we might have told Moses, Oh, Moses, you shouldn't be so hard on yourself. You can do this. Yet the opposite happened. 
as God directs Moses to write down his family tree for us to read and the details show us that his family tree was very unimpressive. So who is Moses? And we'll look at verses 14 to 27. And I'm going to let the reading, as Nathan read these names, I'm going to let that stand as he read it. Very good. And um, pick up in verse 26. These are the Moses and Aaron to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. And it was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. Now when we come to the genealogy of Moses and Aaron, uh, many commentators find it really, really interesting that it happened right here in the middle of the story. If you look at the, the genealogy of Jesus, it's at the beginning of both books, both times it's given, but right in this story, it's right in the middle, not when Moses was a baby. And at this point in the book, God has selected Moses, instructed him, and now God reminds the Israelites of his ancestry through the tribe of Levi, and his genealogy is immediately prior to the start of the plagues in Egypt. It's as if God indicates that Moses now belongs to God. The genealogy of Moses is not particularly impressive, as Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Korah were not morally outstanding men. Moses' father married his aunt, which was later forbidden in the law. And there is nothing in this genealogy that would indicate that Moses was an ideal man for God to choose. This reminds us that it is of God who calls. And there's a couple important details we should look at here. So last week, we looked at God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. Genesis 15 verse 13 tells us they would be afflicted for 400 years and in verse 16 says they will come back in the fourth generation. That's what God told to Abraham. What did I say was the third reason that we doubt God? Because we forget his promises for the future. What had God promised Israel? To return them to Canaan from Egypt after 400 years and in the fourth generation. Those were two specific promises by God. First, they will be afflicted for 400 years. What happens? Look at Exodus 12 verse 40. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And the 430 years was also confirmed in Galatians 3.17. Now look at these verses of genealogy and tell me how many generations from Levi to Moses. So look here at this list of names and tell me how many generations. So Genesis 15, 16 said they would be there in the fourth generation. So look at verse 16. There are listed for us the sons of Levi in verse 16 of which Kohath matters. In verse 18, Kohath, the son of Levi, and his sons are named, of which Amran matters. In verse 20, Amran is named along with his sons, namely Aaron and Moses. And that gives us four generations as promised in Genesis 15:16. And this was God's covenant with Abraham. This is so amazing. I, I can't even tell you what I'm going to do this week for, with any certainty. 
And God is telling them what's going to happen 430 years in the future by the great-grandchildren of Levi. It's just amazing. An amazing prophecy here. Look at verses 26 and 27. These are the Moses and Aaron that the Lord selected. It was these men that spoke to Pharaoh by the Lord's command. This genealogy reminds us that it is God that works in the lives of his people. We look at uh, some of the other men that God has chosen in 2 Corinthians 12.10. The apostle Paul was weak, but in Christ he was strong. In Hebrews 11.34, the people of faith out of weakness were made strong. Moses is listed in Hebrews 11 as one of several who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, and obtained promises. Is that how Moses started? How did Moses start? When God first selected Moses, he started by responding to God, Please don't pick me. I don't want to be your man. Let's pick up here in verse 28. And we'll go 28 through 7 uh, 7. And I'm going to call these verses. God, uh, Moses submits and says, I'll obey. So we go from God saying, I will, the Israelites saying, I won't, and Moses saying, I'll obey. Verse 28 On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. And you shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Moses reminds us again that going to see Pharaoh was not his idea. This was not what he wanted. The Lord says, Moses, go talk to Pharaoh. And Moses replies with, how will Pharaoh listen to me? What happened to Moses is the same thing we encounter in difficulties. Moses was looking horizontal at his circumstances that were not in his favor. Instead of looking upward and obediently to the Lord. God then tell Moses that this is a spiritual battle. See, I have made you like a god to Pharaoh. At one level, this story is a clash of the true God of the universe against the pride of Pharaoh of Egypt. It's not just a political battle of two kingdoms to see which one is stronger, but there's a spiritual battle about delivering God's people from bondage, God keeping his promises, that he has made to call a people out for himself and to raise them up for his glory. To do this, God will do battle against the Egyptian idols. We have also been observing a battle in the life of Moses. Moses does not want to go see Pharaoh again. 
Will Moses obey God? Will Moses do what Moses wants to do, which is run and hide? God is elevating Moses to put him up on equal level with Moses since Pharaoh, equal level with Pharaoh, since Pharaoh thinks he is a god over Egypt, then Moses, I will make you a god to Pharaoh to match him. Moses, this battle is the Lord's. Keep your eye on him. Look at verse 2. Moses, you will speak what I command you. Who has the power to save? It is not Moses. We will watch the story of God's mighty acts unfold as God delivers his people. And the struggle on that day was, who is Moses going to obey, himself or God? In verses 3 to 5, God again repeats his promises from chapter 6, 6 through 8, to Moses of what is going to happen with the additional thought of God will harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh, you want to continue your life without God? Since you enjoy your life so much without God, have more of not God. God gives him over to sin and punishes sin with more sin. Pharaoh has enjoyed his life of sin and has disobeyed a direct command from God. You enjoy your life of sin, have more sin. It is within God's judgment to punish sin by granting the sinful desires of Pharaoh for more sin. Pharaoh, you want to disobey God? Disobey God more and see what the consequences are. And we will watch as devastation comes on the land of Egypt And Pharaoh pays for his disobedience with his life. And as we think of Pharaoh and his situation, we should take care, brothers, lest there be in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart leading us to fall away from the living God. But we should exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of us should be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3.12 And then God goes on to say, God will multiply his signs and wonders. Pharaoh will not listen. God will bring great acts of judgment against the Egyptians. And God will bring out the people of Israel from Egypt. And God repeats these promises. And this is exactly what God accomplished as recorded for us in this book of Exodus. So what happens? Look at verse 6 there. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. And may that be said of us. We did just as the Lord commands us as we read through his holy word. God can choose whoever he pleases for the jobs that he has. God chose David, a young man, to conquer the Goliath, the giant Goliath. And God chose Moses, an 80-year-old man, for the task of his day. Since God can use doubtful men like Moses and Aaron, I'm sure he can use people like us. As Moses struggled with the problems that he was facing, he turned to the Lord. The Lord answered his doubt by revealing who he was, what he had done, and his promises for the future. And then the people responded ultimately with, I will praise him for what he has done. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace to Moses, your working in his life, 
your promises to him. And may we in the same way remind each other of what you have done for us. May our confidence be in you. In Christ's name, amen.